this is a cool day. This is a neat space we're in, so thankful for it. Uh, so specifically thankful for all the people that put a lot of time and energy into getting us in here. Um, Brad Johnson, oh man, everybody, Paul Miller, Joe, Pastor Mark uh, Ketzel put so much effort into getting us in here. Um, and then all the guys who've just been schlupping the stuff in and out of the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, you might leave before you see all the tables there, but we used to set up a whole, basically, a school back up there. And there were guys who, day in, day out, did that so that we could sit and hear the gospel preached. And we are so, so thankful to all those guys, uh, Eric and Pete and Sean Osterberg, and all those guys who've been working day in and day out to do that. So I just want to say thank you to all those guys before we even dig in. Uh, today we will be, yeah, that's a good move. That's how you do that. We're always, we've always been a little uncomfortable with clapping as a church. I think that should be our, our resolution to work on that. Um, anyways, I will pray for us and we will dig in. Uh, King Jesus, we thank you for this space. We thank you for this place. We thank you for this time. Uh, you have greased the tracks and brought us here. The pillar of smoke has moved. And you have once again flexed and shown us, Jesus, that you are God. We take that to the bank. We take that to, uh, to our faith in you, Jesus, that you are on the move in our lives. You are changing us. You are making us more like you. And I just pray, God, that, that we wouldn't just come here to come here. We come here to be transformed by your word. We come here to be transformed by your spirit. We come here to be transformed as the community speaks the truth in love to us. Uh, and that, it, that we go to do life as your people in this city, as light in the darkness, as people who speak the truth in love about the gospel to each other, that we would be radically transformed because of the relationship first and foremost we have with you and the relationship we have with each other. And I just pray over this church, God, that Seattle would look at Anchor Church and know that we are your disciples from the way we have loved one another. I ask that blessing on this church and in this time. Uh, please lead it and guide it and direct it. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Um, I think it is appropriate, as Joe mentioned, I think we've been at this four and a half some odd years. Um, and I think many times, in many ways, we've tried to answer the question, why would you even want to start a church in Seattle? Why would a group of Christians come together? And the answer for us is a simple one. The why is because Jesus Christ, God himself, came into human history and gave us life. Jesus Christ came into human history and has set us free from ourselves to life in him. Jesus Excuse me. Jesus Christ has moved. That God himself was the one who came and got us. God himself is the one that has moved in, his, in our lives, in each of our lives. Everyone in, who, in here who loves him and serves him, Jesus, the God of the universe, has moved in your life. That's why we do what we do. Uh, the what we do, Jesus has fortunately given us the answer to that uh, in the great commandment and the great commission. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And how do we do that? How do we actually actionize on that? He's also given us instructions on that, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. We tell people about Jesus. We love Jesus, and we do everything we can to help each other follow Jesus more. That is what we do. But there, there kind of comes to a question of how do we actually do that? Because if you miss the how we actually execute that, uh, whether it's us as a church together or you as an individual who's following Jesus, uh, we'll mess it up. It gets wonky, and it gets weird. But I think in this text today, John 15, uh, we have the answer to how we do what we do, uh, and it helps us even to get fuel to propel us in the why and the what we do, uh, uh, is, is our logs on the fire for our love for Jesus Christ. Um, so we're in John uh, 15, and we'll start in verse 1, and he says this, I am the true vine, this is Jesus, and my father is the vine dresser. 
or farmer, depending on your translation. Vine dresser sounds fancier, though. Um, we, we touched on this a couple weeks ago, but it's worth revisiting. Uh, there is something happening in the grammar here. It says, I am the true vine. Uh, in the Greek, it's a little, two, two little words, ego emi. Now, the funny thing about Greek is the word emi, it means I am, which means you don't actually need the I, the ego, the I in there. You don't need the I in there to make an I am. What he's doing is he's making it clear. He's emphasizing what he's saying. And in the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, which is what Jesus would have been Jesus' Bible, this same two little emphasis appears in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, excuse me, where Jesus, as the burning bush, says, I am. Moses shows up. Who shall I tell the hegemonic world power Egypt as I come to them uh, barefoot telling them that the God of the universe is going to set people free? Who should I say sent them? I am. Because God is the I am. He always was and always will be. And so Jesus here says, I am. And there's seven of these phrases in John where he's making it really, really clear that Jesus believes himself to be God the God of the Hebrew Bible. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He goes on. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, may bear more fruit. Uh, there's a compliment to this in Matthew chapter 7, uh, where Jesus makes it clear. Good trees bear good fruit, bad fruit, bad fruit trees bear bad fruit, and good trees bear fruit. And, and the fruit that we have, as we'll see in this chapter, is the fruit of loving God and loving others. The fruit we bear is love, and that God uh, is at work in our lives. I don't know if you know this every day, but your life might be messed up. And God is at work in it. Jesus is pruning. He's working. He's transforming you. You might be experiencing the business end of a broken world. And the reality is, is that God in his sovereignty and in his grace is using the messed upness of this messed up world to change you and make you more like Jesus. He's pruning us. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're being pruned or that there's good stuff coming out of it. But that's why we have to come to God's word and believe him more than our eyes can see sometimes. But that God's at work in our lives, that he's changing us, he's transforming us. He goes on. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Get the order right. You're not clean because you showed up this morning. You're not clean because you put on your Sunday best. You're not clean because you try harder. You're not clean because you read your Bible. You're not clean because of anything you do. You're clean because of everything Jesus Christ has done. You are clean because Jesus Christ entered into human history. You are clean because he lived the life you should have lived. You are clean because he died on the cross and paid the price for your sins. You are clean because he rose from the dead in victory over the grave and over sin. You are clean because of what Jesus has done. You already are clean. This word is in what's called the perfect tense. It's a past tense action. We don't have an, expect, an aspectual language in English, uh, but, but, but in Greek, this word is in the perfect tense, which means it's a past tense action with ongoing results. You already are clean. You are saved if you are a Christian, and that has ongoing results as he changes you and transforms you and makes you more like his son. And there's other things in our lives as Christians that have past tense actions with ongoing results. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for a sinner who would be born in 1981 who's feeling older and older and older about that as my favorite records are now getting to be 20 years old. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago to save me and you from yourselves. It is a past tense action with ongoing results. The ongoing result is your life. And here's the deal. If you are living your life in Christ, abiding in Christ, and that word abide kind of has an old-timey sound to it. The other way you could translate it is remain, that you're living in the reality of Jesus, that you're living in his word, but you're abiding in Christ, that your life, the fact that you got up today and wanted to know Jesus more, if you had any sense of that in your life, that is a past tense action, him dying on the cross and raising from the dead with ongoing results. That is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ at work in your life now. Everything that you do in Jesus is you experiencing the power of the resurrection of Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago. Everything you do that compels you to love God and love others is tied to this wonderful and beautiful event where Jesus saved us from ourselves. Every day, I don't know if you realize that, you're participating in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing to chew on and meditate on and think about. And you already are clean because this word that's been spoken to you. Now, of course, this is him talking to the disciples before the cross. But for us here on the other side of the resurrection, this is the truth of the gospel. That Jesus saves sinners from themselves and to life. That Jesus saves sinners from Satan, sin, and death, and hell. And saves them to life in Jesus, lived with God forever. Jesus says the craziest stuff. When they hear you, they hear me. If you have heard the gospel, this truth, that Jesus is who he says he is, and you've turned from yourself and you've turned to him, you have heard his voice in that truth. That's amazing. That when we speak the truth and love to each other, God is working through us. Amazing. Verse 3. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The thing I love about John is he's a fisherman. And he says things that are very straightforward, but then when you look at him, you're like, John, what the heck are you saying? So I'll read it again. Abide in me and I in you. Of course, this is Jesus talking, but he's the guy who writes it. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Our life in Jesus is a life that's tied into the meaning and purpose of reality. Jesus made everything. Sometimes I like to think about that. You can't think of anything in John's gospel to say, everything that was made was made. So when you think of something that was made, Jesus made that thing. And then you try and think of something else, and he made that thing too. And then you kind of sit around and think for a while and need a nap, right? But the Jesus made everything. He made everything 
good. And the reality is he knows how things are supposed to operate. He knows how the universe is supposed to be ordered. We do a pretty good job of what's typically called idolatry, and that's where we take our, uh, some object that he's made and make that the ultimate thing in our lives, whether it's our job or, or, our, or anything, right? Our job, money, power, booze, whatever the thing might be, we make that thing the thing in our life, and that is the point of life, and that is the point of it all, that someone would just look at me and think I'm awesome, or that I just do good at my job, or I just get an A, would someone just give me an A on something, right? That is the point of my life. Or just to prove him wrong. Just to prove that person right. Whatever it might be. And our problem is we're very good at getting the order of the universe wrong. We're very good at taking the things that he made and elevating to the place of ultimate. When in fact the ultimate purpose of our life is to elevate God to his right place and enjoy him. To love him. To know him. To serve him. And what's beautiful here is, is, and mind you, this metaphor breaks down at some point in time if you know anything about uh, agriculture. But it, the vine doesn't need the branch. The branch needs the vine. Okay? Jesus doesn't need us. That's a big deal. That's a big deal because that means that he's not like, uh, uh, the reason you got saved and the reason he's inviting you into his family isn't because he's needy or because he's lacking, right? He didn't save you transactionally. He didn't save you because he needed somebody on the team. He didn't. It's all a gift then. It's all of grace. If he didn't need you for anything, then it's all of grace in your life that you get to be a Christian, that he saves you from yourself and that he invites you in. That's a beautiful truth. He doesn't need us for anything. And yet he moves and saves us. Let's keep going. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. So what does that also mean? He's on the move in your life. He's moving in our lives. If you are a Christian, he is moving. He is bearing fruit in your life. Your life might seem insignificant, but you need to understand the things that Jesus is doing in your life, if you are his and he is yours, have cosmic ramifications. The kids whose diapers you change are kids that you've been given to make disciples of Jesus and point them to the reality of who he is. Significance. You go to the store, right? to take care of your family, your friends, your neighbors who don't know Jesus. Your trip to go buy fried chicken at QFC suddenly has cosmic significance as you lay out the table, invite people in, and eat. That if he's moving in our lives, and he's infinite, and he's perfect, every little thing we do echoes out into eternity. If anyone does not uh, abides in me and I in him, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. We live our lives as people who are branches hooked into something else in adamant and complete opposition to Jesus. Because guess what? I don't like making him the, in and of myself, I don't like making him the point. Because you know what I like making the point in and of myself? is me. I'm the point. It's about me. It's my agenda. It's about my comfort. It's about what I want. And that is a life adamantly 
lived opposed to Jesus and his gospel. Because the place we find purpose and meaning and fulfillment is when I stop trying to push him out of the center of the universe, which, by the way, I can't, by the way, and actually have him in the right place in the center of the universe. We live in complete and total opposition against him. And I, and I always think about that, that, that we as people have lived in total and complete opposition against him. He saves us from ourselves, from hell, from Satan, from sin, from love of self, from love of idols, and he saves us and he moves. The only meaning is in the vine. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's be very, very careful with this verse. Very careful with this verse, not health and wealth, that one. Because at first glance, that almost sounds transactional. If you abide in my word, if you remain in my word, if you read your Bible, I will give you what you want. I'll give you health, I'll give you wealth, I'll give you a vacation home in the Bahamas, whatever that must be like, right? We have a tendency to think, if I just serve God, then he's going to bless me. And of course, the blessing we look to receive is whatever blessing we think we deserve, because we have good ideas in our mind how God can bless us. Now, that's easy for us here in America, where we essentially use crystal to, to flush the toilet. But there are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who abide in his word and love him more than anything and are not healthy or wealthy in any way, shape, or form. That's reality. Now, here's what I think he's after. If it's not transitional, if it's not, well, if I abide in your word, then you'll give me what I want. It's that we actually get so changed by his word that we get changed by being people of the word, by being people of the book, by knowing him, that all of a sudden we begin to clue into reality. We begin to see how things are and we begin to say things like, Jesus, would you please bless me and give me this job? And if this job would take me away from my love for you, keep it. I don't want it. Jesus, would you bless me with this house and, and, and give me this house and allow me to do ministry from here and glorify your name from here? And if this house is going to become an idol, I don't want it. And all of a sudden, as we get changed and sanctified and moved in our lives, all of a sudden, we have everything with open hands and say, if this will bring me closer to you, if this will help me to love you and love others, I want it. And if it won't, I don't. I'm done. That's what's happening. When you get changed by his word and see his glory, you begin to pray what he wants. And what does he want in your life for you to love him and love others? That's what he wants for you in your life. I can say that to you with complete confidence because it's what Jesus is saying. You know, I can say, oh, you know what he wants for your life is to do blah, 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 blah. Now, I want you to love God and love others is what he's saying. I can make up a lot of other stuff in there, but I'm just making it up. Love God, love others. That's what he wants for you. Because that's where our joy is. By this, check this out. By this my Father is glorified. How? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Matthew 7. Good trees can't bear bad fruit. Bad trees can't bear good fruit. You can't do Jesus stuff without Jesus. I remember once I was sitting under some preaching. I was in a weird room. I think I was in California or Colorado. Here's this guy preach. And he said this to me. Or to me. I felt like he said it to me. He said it to us. He said, you can do lots of things in life. You can be happy. You can buy a house. You can have a car. You can do all these things. Whatever. Career, success, jet setter. Yeah, you can do all those things. But Jesus stuff you can't do without Jesus. 
Worshiping Jesus, you can't do without Jesus. Living on Jesus' mission, you can't do that without Jesus. Loving people in the name of Jesus, you can't do that without Jesus. The Jesus stuff you need Jesus for. And I think, again, when we want the Jesus stuff, all of a sudden that becomes it. That becomes the point. It's Jesus. I want Jesus. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I want Jesus. I want to know the creator of all things more and love him more and live in response to him more and more by loving others. And what's amazing here, he says, that in this, this proving, in this bearing of fruit, it glorifies God. It, it, it's our life lived. Glory is one of those words which you have to unpack every time it says it, and yet the Bible says it all the time, so you have to unpack it every time. Glory is living our whole lives in such a way that it's pointing to him and who he is and how beautiful and wonderful and glorious and amazing he is. And when we bear fruit, it glorifies him. It shows the world that he's on the move in our lives. Verse 9, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the whole of the Bible. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. How has the Father loved the Son perfectly, unfailing, before the foundations of the earth? The the love expressed between God the Father and God the Son is a love that you run out of words to talk about. Beautiful and unbroken. And he's saying the way that he's loved me, I've loved you. You who are already clean. You who didn't deserve it. You who didn't earn it. Because I think the thing about this how idea is that if you're not a Christian, I need you to know that this isn't about strategies. And if you are a Christian, I need you to know you haven't been left as an orphan. Uh, If you're not a Christian, you need to know the reality of the gospel is not one more strategy on how to be holy or to get right or hit the eject button on the universe or how to hit uh, enlightenment or how to make God happy or whatever it might be. It's not a strategy of how to get to God. It's the reality that God has come down and gotten to us. That is the gospel. That Jesus Christ, God himself, left his place and came to get us. It's not a strategy. And also, I think as Christians, sometimes we live as orphans. And what I mean by that is that we get it, right? Okay, Jesus has saved me for myself. He saved me to life. And I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to live this holy life. And I'm even supposed to tell my neighbors about him. I'm telling my kids about him. Love people and do this stuff. But we do it as if it's on us. We do it as if he left us alone. He hasn't left you alone. He hasn't told you how to do it. And he hasn't left you out the Holy Spirit, the resources you need to do it. Because in and of yourself, you can't. You cannot do the spiritual push-ups that will help you perfectly love God or others. You just can't. You can try, and you'll fail. You can try and be a good person. At some point in time, somebody just cuts you off. And you just let them have it. Someday that person calls you when you're working at the call center and it's Friday and it's 5.05 and you're supposed to get off at 5 and that one person was rude to you and you've been nice to every single person all week long and you let them have it because you've had it, right? You've had enough when you're doing it on your own. And we live like orphans. Paul will say this in the letter to the Galatians. He'll say, did you who began by the Spirit, are you going to finish this thing in the flesh? Are you who got saved from yourself by Jesus Christ going to run the holy life by yourself? No. 
you live dependent on Jesus, who hasn't left you alone, who hasn't left you an orphan. And it glorifies God because every time you turn from sin and turn to righteousness and turn to death and turn to life and turn from sin and turn to Jesus, it glorifies God because it's a miracle. Your life is peppered with miracles. My life is peppered with miracles. Don't miss it. You're sitting in the middle of a miracle right now as we speak, as people who have been saved from themselves get together to worship Jesus Christ. You are in a miracle right now. This is not for a gold star in attendance. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What's interesting here is is we can say, okay, so what's the list I have to do to remain in Jesus' love, right? That's kind of what we tend to do when we're living as orphans. Okay, so don't don't do this, don't watch that, don't, right? And and you miss the commandment, right? Because what is his commandment? What is the greatest commandment? Love. Love. You want to love God more than your sin? You know what you do? You love God. You worshiped your way into the problem. You've got to worship your way out. Just saying, no, I'm not going to do that, and bearing your white knuckles and trying harder and hunkering down will only work for so long. And if it works for too long, it only develops pride because you did it. Look at me. I built my fancy Tower of Babel. I prevented myself from watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer too many times, and we're good here, or whatever it is, because we can find the most minuscule things to find pride about. We can find the most minuscule thing to look down at others from our big old tower and say, look, I'm better than you. I didn't watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer or any of its subsidiary whatevers, spinoff shows. But if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Because what's this commandment? That was an imperative, by the way. Abide in my love. What's this commandment for you? Abide in my love. If you keep my commandment to abide in my love, you will abide in my love. He's being redundant. Abide in my love. Stay close and live in the love of God in Christ Jesus. Breathe in and out the gospel with everything you've got. We forget so quickly. So quickly it can feel far from when we're just living totally messed up, selfish, depraved lives. It wasn't that long ago, friends. He saved you. He saved you and you're new and you're clean. When you feel that guilt coming, you're new and you're clean. You're already clean. You're already clean. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and my joy may be Sometimes we like to paint the picture of God as the cosmic killjoy. He's just here to ruin your party. Those Christians are just here to ruin your party. You know, there's party poopers. But what did he say? That my joy may be filled. This is a passive word. He's the one filling our joy. When we follow him, he fills our joy. The point of your life is joy. Because if you follow the text backwards, right? That my Father would be glorified, that you love, and that your joy may be filled. Well, how do we have 
Fullness of joy. Fullness of love. How do we have fullness of love? Loving the way we were intended and built to love. Loving God the Father. Loving Jesus Christ. Loving other people in a way that we're not trying to get anything from them. Right? Because it turns out when you love that way, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of joy in loving people in a way that you don't actually expect anything back, even when they're rude to you. It turns out when you're doing something so someone will think you're awesome and they don't think you're awesome, you know, you give them five bucks and they spit at you, you're like, what? Five bucks. It's not even a, it wasn't even a buck or some change. I gave you five bucks. Why did you spit at me? I live in Seattle. It's, maybe it's real. It's happened. Don't, I'm not saying don't give people money. I'm just saying they spit at me. Um, turns out when you do that so they'll throw you a parade that you don't really doesn't really do anything for you but when you do it in a way that's you're just trying to love somebody you're just trying to help somebody it doesn't matter what they think about you that's freedom that's freedom loving people in a way that you're not expecting to get something back from them is freedom and it's a freedom that only comes in Jesus who loved us who he didn't need Three observations about this text and the how, and how I think this text uh, answers how we roll. Number one, Jesus doesn't need us for anything. Number two, Jesus has forgiven us from everything. And number three, Jesus is working through us. So, so we understand that the God who has forgiven us for everything, who doesn't need us for anything, is still, as we saw in this text, working through us. He is working through you if you love Jesus. It might not even feel like it all the time. You might set some worldly standard for, if Jesus was working through me, this is what it would look like. All my neighbors would be saved and that would be awesome. Instead of having the same conversation with the same neighbor, three years, four years, God's working through you. That same, uh, that same employee or coworker, that same friend at the park, he's working through you. It might not look the way you think it should look. Hey, man, if it looked the way that I wanted it to look, it looked different. But it doesn't. He's working. He's moving. He's working through you. So, number one, Jesus doesn't need us for anything. Uh, this is illustrated really well by Psalm 50. It says this in Psalm 50, starting verse 7. Uh, Hear, O my people... And I will speak, O Israel. I will testify you against, against you. I am God, your God. This is not a good day, by the way. But hear what he says. This is wild. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. They are doing religious stuff. They are paying their dues if it's transactional. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. Does not need you to give him stuff because he already owns all the stuff because he made all the stuff. It's all his. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field. All that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Uh, he's comparing himself now to the uh, ancient, other ancient Near Eastern worldviews, the way other people around uh, the people of God would have seen their gods and deities. Because the reason they give sacrifices is because their gods are hungry. God's saying, I don't need sacrifices because I'm God, by the way. A great test, uh, if someone tells you they're God, um, 
you know, if they need food, they need a sandwich, unless they're Jesus incarnate, which I guess kind of makes it break down. But if you're having one of those moments and you hear a voice and it tells you it's hungry, that's not God. Um, moving on. Do I eat the, bull, the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of what? Of thanksgiving. We're not doing it so he'll give us stuff. We don't serve him so he'll give us stuff. We don't follow him so he'll give us stuff. We follow him and love him because he loved us first. So we respond. We give it in thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. Everything I have is yours and it's all for you. It's all already yours, but I'm just acknowledging that everything I have belongs to you and I want to use all these things to love you and love people more. Thanksgiving. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Not only does he not need you, you need him. He doesn't need you to bail him out. He bails you out. I like that 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 section ends with that. By the way, God bails you out, not you bail God out. He's never like, I got to pay for this cab. I'm short five bucks. Can you spot me? God doesn't need you to spot him five bucks. The... uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. I think this is very, very evidence uh, just in our conception of God, the Trinity. Uh, we are not monotheists, we're tritheists, we're or not tritheists, excuse me. Er, 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 go back and delete that. We are Trinitarian tritheists. <laughs> <laughs> Happens. If you don't have one typo in 45 minutes, it's weird. So don't. Not tritheists, don't use that. We're Trinitarian. So God didn't even create because he was lonely. God perfectly expressed love within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit before the foundations of the earth. He didn't make us because he was lonely. And he didn't make us because he needed an object to express his love. Uh, In a monotheistic conceptualization, God had to create to be able to love because God was alone. God wasn't alone. God was there in unity in the Trinity and he created as an outflow of his love, an overflow of his love. You are recipients of the overflow of the love of God. He didn't make you because he's lonely because I'm kind of boring after some point in time. Uh, Another really great verse that illustrates this point is uh, Acts 17 in Athens. Paul is there and he's looking around and he's looking around the city and he's saying pretend gods, and he's taking in the culture, and he's doing something amazing that we need to be careful to do, because sometimes I think we can feel like, I'm a Christian, I live in the city, and that's enough. Isn't the city lucky to have me? I'm here. Lucky city. And now I can listen to good music, and go to good restaurants, and hang out and feel cool. Uh, The reality is that we get to be here as light in the darkness, and the cool thing is God allows us to enjoy culture, but as people, we want to take that and use that as our bridge into people's lives to tell them about who Jesus is, and the amazing thing about being a Christian in Seattle, at least in my experience, everybody I know doesn't know any Christians, which means the evangelistic task before me is telling them I'm a Christian, and then they ask me all their weird questions all day long. They will ask me weird questions all day long. And I get to tell them about Jesus. Now, what's really important here uh, is that uh, as much as hit and fade evangelism, you know, you're in an elevator, you got 30 seconds, you happen to get to tell somebody the gospel, um, that's awesome. And guess what? The God of the universe actually does use it. But if you've ever blown anything up, and maybe this is Whatcom County coming out of me, um, 
and like two people understood what I meant, and then you'll understand in a second. Um, and I steal this illustration from somebody else, but I'll apply fireworks, because I've never used dynamite. Um, but you take a rock, and you strap a bunch of fireworks to it, and, and you light the thing off, and guess what happens? If it's a big enough rock, the explosion just goes off the rock, right? Hit and fade evangelism. Sometimes something cool happens, but usually someone's like, that guy in the elevator was really, really weird. Where'd you say you go to church? Yeah, come on in. Anchor Church. Okay? But the way to blow up a rock or anything else is you drill a hole in it and you put your bottle rockets down in the rock and then you light them and it blows the rock up. So when we're not actually listening to our friends and our neighbors and we're just talking at them to be heard, even in the gospel, yeah, the Holy Spirit uses it sometimes because God works with us, without us, and in spite of us. But the reality is we want to be so conversant with our neighbors, so conversant with Buddhism and secular atheism and all these things that not only can we talk to them and can, can we articulate their argument better than they can, and all it takes is just listening to NPR, to be honest with you. I'm serious. <laughs> Listen to This American Life for like 50 minutes and you'll, you're, you're in missiology school over. Get to work. So you get to speak into the truth of where they're at with the truth of Jesus and answer their questions and deal with what they're dealing with and how the gospel is the best and true answer, how, how, how the truth of Jesus is the best and true answer to all the emptiness or whatever they're dealing with in their life. Because we have a bunch of people who want to be loved. You think I'm wrong? Look on the internet for 10 seconds. There's a bunch of people who want to be loved. There's a bunch of people who want to think they're important. There's a bunch of people who want to be rich. There's a bunch of people who want to be wealthy. There's a bunch of... And the thing is, Jesus is the answer to every single one of those situations. Jesus is the better answer to every one of them, but it's only in talking to them, being conversant with them, and speaking to them, and honestly, letting them know you're a Christian, because Christians are weird, they will, nine times out of ten, actually bring those questions to you. Well, what do you Bible-believing weirdos think about this? Here's what I think about this. This is what I think about Jesus. This is what I think about love, and how the love of God answers your question. By listening, and hearing, and speaking... That's what Paul's doing here. Here we go. Uh, verse 13. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, he's speaking to, he's in this sort of uh, place where people come to interact and they bring all their wacky ideas and kind of test them and run them by people. And they're like, hey, I'm the new Neoplatonic whatever, blah, 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 emanations, non, nonsense, yakety schmackety. Here we go. And they look at them, nah, we like the last emanation guy. And most of you read Plato and you'll be like, oh, that's weird. That's what he's talking about. They're Greeks, so that's what we're doing. Uh, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. He's doing the same thing that the guy in Psalm 50 is doing here. What therefore you worship is unknown. I proclaim to you. You don't know about a God? I know about a God you don't know about. See, he's, he's drilling a hole. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. There's the bottle rockets. Uh, but, now, but not live in temples made by man. This would freak them out because they have temples everywhere. If you read in Acts, there's a riot because people want to stop using temples in Ephesus. It's wild stuff. That's what you can do this afternoon. Uh, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Doesn't need you. Now that can either make us feel kind of empty, like, well, I wish God needed me for something. That means you're invited in empty-handed. That's what it means. Invites you in empty-handed. 
And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Sovereign king of everything. We don't make up God. God created. He didn't make us up, but God created us. Okay, so if he doesn't need us for anything, and yet he's forgiven us for everything, right? You're clean. You already are clean. Uh, Romans 4 says it really well. Verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Abraham, he'll unpack it for us. I'll let him do it. Uh, Our father according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If Abraham did stuff so God will love him, he has something to talk about. Look how awesome I am that God has to love me. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works his wages uh, are not counted as a gift but as due. If you clean up your life, if you do the things to build the tower to try and get to God and you get up to God, that's just God owing you for finding the fountain of youth or whatever. But that's not how it works. The gap's too big. He crossed the gap. He crushed the beef. He came for us. Down in verse 10, it says this. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And you'll see this again and again in the scriptures. It wasn't after Abraham did stuff. Abraham is a bum. Read it, Genesis 12. Abraham, (coughs) the Hebrew word's not bum, but Abraham's a bum. (coughs) Excuse me. God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, pack up your stuff, pack up your family, bring your nephew Lot, who God doesn't say is a bum, but is kind of a bum. Take all your stuff, and we're moving. And Abraham says... All right, let's go. It's not until God does a bunch of stuff, right? Circumcises them later and all this other stuff. This is what happens in the Exodus story. Does God say, okay, I will get you guys out of the hegemonic power of Egypt. Excuse me. I will get you guys out of Egypt. I will bail you out if you promise to follow the Ten Commandments. He bails them out and then he says, I will be your God and you will be my people and this is what it looks like to follow me. He doesn't come to you and say, hey, you, I will make you a Christian if you do all these things. He comes and says, hey, you, I'm saving you. Let's get out of the burning building. That's how God moves. That's how God operates. God saves not because of what you've done, but then he does something, right? So if it's, he doesn't need me for anything and I haven't done anything to earn my salvation, Finally, we get this idea right here. And we'll land the plane right here. And we just see this in John 15. Despite the fact that he doesn't need me for anything, despite the fact that he's forgiven me for everything, Jesus is working through us. He's doing it to do three things. To bring God glory, to show us his love, and to give us joy. It's right there in the text. I hope you saw it. It's right there. So what do I mean? You follow the 15 back and up, right? So that the joy may be fulfilled. How is that that we bear fruit? And how is that that God has loved me, so I have loved you? We follow that back and we get to this idea that he's bearing much fruit in us. So we then get to live our lives loving God and loving people 
which shows that God is at work in our little teeny speck in the continuum of world history with cosmic ramifications as we love God and as we love others. That every single person we interact with, loving God and loving others, he is on the move. He's on the move in your kids. He's on the, on the move in your friends. He's on the move at work. He is on the move. And so despite the fact that he doesn't need me for anything, and there's nothing I can do to earn his love, he's just graciously giving this all to us. It is all of grace that he chooses to glorify himself through you. It is all of grace that he's showing you his love. It is all of grace that he's forgiven you for your sin. It is all grace that he's doing all of these things. And every last teeny, tiny, insignificant thing of your life in Jesus Christ is a gift. And I think this moves us three ways. This moves us to love. This moves us to love Jesus and love others. He loved me first. He loved me when I was unlovable. (coughs) Excuse me. He loved me first. He loved you first. He moved. He loved. He saved. How much love do you have for someone who loves you and knows everything? He knows things about you. He's got dirt on you you don't even know about because he sees everything. He takes all that dirt and all that muck and says, yeah, I love you. You're mine. I'm yours. That moves me to love others. That is the fuel for loving your kids at 5 in the morning when everybody decides to get up. That is the fuel for the 5.05 Friday afternoon rude phone call. Because all of a sudden I understand that someone else has loved me first. That God has loved me first. And this is what moves us to action. This is what moves us to free action. This is what moves us to the freedom of the action of loving others and loving God. Because I'm not doing it so that God will love me. I'm not doing it so that they'll love me. I'm doing it in response to what he's done. And so my whole life is an echo of the reality of his love. And finally, if you're not a Christian, I hope this moves you to the gospel. The gospel is not read a bunch of books and read this book and do this thing so that God will think you're cleaned up and good and put together. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came down Not because we asked him to. And in fact, if we'd been asked, we probably would have said no. (laughs) Jesus Christ comes down to save us from ourselves, to save us from death to life, to save us to freedom and love. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. Turn from your sin and turn to him and know him. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to respond. Jesus, we want to live in freedom. We too often act like we're on our own here. We're not. We too often act like we got to pay you back for something when we don't. Life in you is not burdensome, it's freedom. Life in you is not bondage, it's freedom. Help us to remember what you've done and are doing and to just appreciate the resurrection at work this afternoon. Help us to appreciate that you're working through us, you're bearing fruit through us. And this whole thing we do is a beautiful and wonderful and glorious response to what you've already done. Help us to share the truth of who you are with this city, with Finneywood specifically, with North Seattle, with all of Seattle. And help us to love 
And not just when it's convenient. Certainly wasn't convenient for you to love us. Help us, Jesus. Help us, help us. We love you, Lord. Praise in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.